0: great to be with you today. It was great to come in town last night, have a chance to catch up with uh, Vic and Maria and their family and learn all about what the Lord is doing here at Redeemer, and uh, thankful for that, and uh, just thankful for the fact that uh, uh, the Lord is continuing to work, continuing to see his kingdom expand, continuing to do great things. And Uh, As Redeemer is a church that cooperates with the Southern Baptist Convention, we are thankful for the support that you give because it helps us accomplish what we do. You might not know this, but the tuition at the seminaries that are owned by the Southern Baptist Convention are some of the lowest tuitions for theological education in the world. Um, And that's because of the fact that churches come together uh, to cooperate together to accomplish Uh, things like theological education and missions and church planting. And so uh, we are one of six seminaries uh, that are across uh, the U.S. uh, Representing uh, all six of those is over 18,000 students that are being trained uh, right now. We've got almost 5,000 students at Southeastern uh, at the current time, and we're really thankful for all it is that the Lord is doing. We are the closest seminary to you guys. If you are ever in the Raleigh area, make sure you stop by. Uh, We would love to see you, we'd love to show you the campus, and we'd love to show you the the investment that you make uh, through the cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, what it is accomplishing and what it is that we're doing. Uh, This morning we are going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. If you're not familiar with where that is, go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, hang a right, and we'll go to the fifth book, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we will be in chapter 8. One of the kinds of people that I am jealous of in this world is the kind of people that can remember somebody's name right off the bat. That is not me, and I would venture to say that most of us fall into the same category that I do. Even the times that I'm 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 really, really focused, I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember this person's name, and then I'm 20 seconds into the conversation with them, and I've got, I don't know what their name is. Even though I tried my hardest to do it, there's a, a gentleman I serve with that are. Uh, church in Raleigh who has this ability to remember people's names. Uh, And I can remember our second week visiting that church, we walked through the door and he called every single one of us, even our kids by names, probably even knew our dog's name, but uh, knew this name. And this is an incredible, and it's an incredible ministry he has in being able to do that and to make that connection, especially with guests as they're coming in the door. But I am definitely not one of those people. Matter of fact, memories are something that we struggle with in general as humans. Things that sometimes we even think are dead sure happen. We tell the story and our spouse says, that's not how it happened. Because our memories have failed us and what we think and and it's altered the perspective. Even, Even days that alter our memories significantly fade into kind of the opaqueness of history. And all of a sudden we can't remember them like it is that we used to and they get tucked away in this dusty corner of the attics of our mind. And What we're going to see this morning as we look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, we're going to see where the Lord is in- instructing the Israelites, and likewise that we can learn ourselves to not forget. To not forget what the Lord has done, what the Lord has provided, and what it is that can distract us from remembering those particular things. Our constant failing memories can alter our perspective. They both affect our willingness and our ability to worship God. It's a recurring theme that we see throughout Scripture. Matter of fact, we are frequently reminded, or we see that these things are being brought up by way of reminder. So therefore, your perspectives on the sources of the blessings that have been given to you by God in your life can either lead to selfish indulgence or worshipful obedience depending upon your perspective and your memory of how it is that you look at these particular things. The book of Deuteronomy, the very word itself, gives us an indication as to what it is. It means the second giving of the law. And what's happening now is God, through Moses, is speaking to his people as they are about to enter into the promised land. You See, the first time the law was given, that particular generation has gone away. Because of unfaithfulness and because of their lack of trust in God, Uh, they have gone away, and as the generation that follows is the one that's going to be going into the promised land. And so there's this reminder here of what it is that God wants from his people. Remember, 25 times in this book is either the word remember or do not forget. It's a theme that is coming up all throughout this book of Deuteronomy. Five times in the chapter that we are in today, do not forget, remember. Because this is something that we frequently find ourselves in the situation That we're in. And so in Deuteronomy, what I want us to see here in verses 11 through 18 is how it is that we are not to forget, how it is that we should have the right perspective and the things that can potentially draw us away. So the first thing that I want us to see is in verses 11 through 13 this morning. Verses 11 through 13. I want us to see that our perspectives can become flawed because of the material distractions that are around us. Our perspectives can be flawed become flawed because of the material distractions around us. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. God through Moses says this, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and you are full and you build beautiful houses to live in and your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold multiply and everything else that you have increases. Put it simply, scripture regularly addresses how our stuff, you can kind of fill in the blank on what stuff is that's there, how our stuff distracts us from faithfully serving God. God blesses us in incredible and in numerous ways, but in our sinfulness, those blessings become the objects of our worship. What happens is the gifts that we have been given sit on the throne instead of the gift giver. And this is flaws our perspective. The Israelites were given this incredible land. If you look at the verses just before the particular verses that we're looking at this morning, it says, starting in verse 7, that the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing. The land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. He's giving them this land that has all of this that's available to them. All of these blessings that are here. But the Lord says, be careful and do not forget. Because you will get distracted by all of these things that they, that they are here. They were given this incredible land. It's frequently described as flowing with milk and honey. And when it came with it, it came with all these material blessings, fertile ground, natural resources, incredible landscapes, suitable for raising cattle, pre-built cities, and so much more. So when Scripture tells us about the Lord's mercies being new every morning, we get the sense of all of the incredible blessings that come from it. Blessings that we can't even imagine. Ways in which the Lord is going to bless us even in the days to come that we don't even realize that he is going to do just because of the fact that of his love for us. So the Israelites are going to quickly grow in number. They're going to get settled in this land. They're going to grow in number and resources after possessing the land. They will build this beautiful temple that's going to reside in Jerusalem. They are mighty in battle. They expanded their kingdom. They formed alliances with powerful entities from other nations. And what God asked for them was obedience. But instead what he got was obstinance with all the blessings that he was given to him. When we have a, the read the Old Testament, we have this tendency. We look at him and we go, how in the world could the Israelites do this? We look at all the blessings that had been given to him, all that God had provided to him and we go, how in the world that this is the case. However, it's important to remember that when we read the Old Testament and we examine the actions of the people, we're not observing foreign failures, but really we're looking in a mirror because their hearts are just like ours. I have a secret for you. We haven't come up with any new ways to sin. You might think that we have, but that just might be because of your ignorance of history. But the fact is, is the human heart is just as wicked and just as evil as it has been since day one when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And because of that, we can look back at this and we can see If their hearts did this, there's a good chance our hearts are going to do it as well. And therefore, we have to be careful. You know, when we give gifts today, we do it out of love, but sometimes we also are looking and hoping that there's going to be some sort of gratitude that comes from the people that we give those gifts to, even though we're giving them out of love. Think about Christmas, for example. You're sitting around on Christmas morning. You have all of these gifts that you have spent time Uh, finding, buying, having shipped to your house, searching for all these kinds of things that are thoughts that are given that are there, including the dreaded socks that unless you're over 40 years old, you don't appreciate. I'm not even sure over 40 actually appreciate them, but you at least find them practical. But you give all of these gifts, and what happens is, is they get opened up, and then the distraction of those gifts kind of take away from all of that family time that just gathered there that's in the room. Because they become more interested in the gifts than the gift giver. This becomes what's most important to them. This becomes their object of focus, rather than the fact that they have a loving parent who found this, who researched this, who tried to find exactly what it is that they want, and to be able to give it to them but it's just a representation of where it is that our hearts are. A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Pursuit of God, he said, Our woes began when God was forced out of his central uh, shrine and where things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place of the throne." So what are we supposed to do with the stuff we have? Now, just to kind of rely or, you know, put down any fears, I'm not here to tell you that you're supposed to sell everything and you're supposed to just simply give it up. Matter of fact, Scripture even tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 17 that God gives us good gifts to enjoy. So there is enjoyment that should come through the blessings that God gives. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Now, when we think about this verse, we usually assign, because it says the wealthy in this world, we usually think of somebody else. You know, we're not that person, this is somebody else. Uh, Actually, for most all of us in this room, especially from a global perspective, this is us, as to where it is that we are, and how it is that God has blessed us. And so we should, as Scripture says, enjoy these things. But the danger in enjoying these things is that we move from enjoyment to worship. Enjoyment to idolization of these particular things. And what it comes down to is loosely holding to these things. So that we might be able to say like Job when it was taken away. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord gives takes away blessed be the name of the Lord. So being distracted by material blessings around us is one way our perspectives become flawed. Another way our perspectives become flawed is when we forget where it is that God has brought us from. Let's look at verses 14 through 16. God through Moses goes on to say be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and that you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He led you through the great and the terrible wilderness, its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint rock for you. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your ancestors had not known, in order to humble and to test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. Days of desperation, like what the Israelites faced in the wilderness, are days that really lead us to increase our dependence upon God whether it be financial struggles, whether it be relationship problems, whether it be job issues, whatever it might be, those seem to be the things, health issues, that drive us to our knees, that drive us to seek the wisdom of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord during those particular times. Even those, we can struggle with unfaithfulness, just like it is that the Israelites saw that are here, but yet when those days pass, it becomes even harder for us to find ourselves walking in faithfulness because of the fact that we have forgotten where it is that God had brought us, has brought us from. God reminded the Israelites that during their days in the wilderness that he led them, he protected them, he provided for them, he even disciplined them, all for the purpose of spiritual growth. And the days of the wilderness were not days of untrained, uh, untainted obedience, because as I said, the Israels faced significant discipline during these times. If you remember on Mount Sinai, Moses is on Mount Sinai. They melt their gold to form the golden calf. When they were faced to trust God entering the promised land, the first time around, they lacked faith. They cowered in fear. There was even an uprising against Moses led by his nephew, Korah. The wilderness days were not marked by constant willful obedience. However, these days served as a reminder of where it is that God had brought them from as he had rescued from their slavery in Egypt. You even see in the Psalms, some of the Psalms look back and recount to call back into their memory what it is that the Lord had done as they worshiped the Lord through the singing of those songs. It's good to look back, not necessarily to dwell on the sin that we once enjoyed when we were the knowledge of God was absent from our life and we didn't understand his holiness, but rather to remember where it is that God has brought us from. Your testimony Some of you in this room might be that you came from a broken home. You might have even lived a lifestyle that most secular Americans blush at. You might have been involved in drugs, abuse, alcoholism, spent time in jail, you name it. You can look at these things where it is that God has brought you from and rescued you from the muck and the mire that you were in, placing you on the solid ground when he saved you. But you might also be in this room and you might not be one of those people. You might be someone who grew up in a Christian home, generally led a compliant life, didn't really get in trouble. But here's the truth. You were in the exact same position in your standing before God is the people that have these incredible testimonies of what it is that God has rescued them from. You see, it's incredible that God has rescued any of us because of the fact that we were enemies of him. But yet he rescued us, and so it's helpful to look back and to remember what it is that he has done for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's also not just looking back at what, how it is that we've been rescued from our sin, but it's also looking back at all the ways that God has blessed us even after our salvation. Hard times that we went through that we didn't understand at the time why are hard times, but have incredibly influenced us and helped us to grow in our faith and our endurance before God. Or even the good times of the things that he has provided for us to look back on those things and to remember where they came from. Now, there might be some of you today that you're hearing this talk of being rescued from your sin, and it might seem foreign to you. It's something that we call the gospel. It's this good news that exists, the fact that all people outside of Christ stand as an enemy of God. There is no hope of heaven. There is no hope of a relationship with God. But the truth is is that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, who lived a perfect life, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, the penalty that we could not pay, so that all that we would have to do is call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, save me. I repent, redeem me. And that we could go from being an enemy of God to a child of God. If that's you today, I'm here to tell you that today, you can become a child of God. It's not something that you have to work through. It's not something there. It's as simple as that because there's nothing you can do at all but just to call on the grace and mercy of the Lord. And if that's you and you're not sure as to exactly what's meant by that, I can guarantee you that after the service, anybody in this room, anybody that you've seen up on this stage, anybody in this room, if you stop and you say, can you please tell me more? They'd be happy to take the time to, sh- to tell you more about what it means to walk with God and how it is that you can experience salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. So one of the things that we should do is to set our perspective right by looking back and always remembering from where it is that God has brought you. Spend time thinking about those. Even though they didn't always pay attention to them, the Israelites would frequently set up monuments in various areas. And scripture records that many times those monuments were to be used to teach your, your sons, to teach your daughters, to teach your grandkids. This is what the Lord did on this spot. This is how it is that he parted the water of the Jordan and we crossed on dry ground. And to remember the blessings that are there. The Lord's protected you. He's provided for you. He's grown you. He's even disciplined you. But always remember and never forget where it is that God has brought you from and how he has grown you and how it is that he's provided you greatly because if you forget, you're in danger of forgetting about the Lord and falling into disobedience. So our perspectives become flawed because the material distractions are around us by forgetting where it is that God has brought us, but finally what I want us to see in verses 17 and 18 is because of the delusion of self-sufficiency, the delusion of self-sufficiency. Verses 17 and 18, The Lord through Moses goes on to say that you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as it is today. When we're surrounded by God's blessings, we can often develop this delusion that we are the actual source of the things that surround us. God was going to bless Israel with prosperity as a nation, but He knew that the wickedness of man's heart could one day lead them astray. There would be a day that we, they would look back at what surrounded uh, what surrounded them, and their perspective on the source of their blessings would change. Pride would well up in their heart, and when they looked at their hands, they would see power. They would see power to create, to make things beautiful, to expand. For example, when you read the description of the beauty of the first temple, when all the materials that was made, the gold, the stone, the beautiful wood, you can't help but think that man's heart could buy into the delusion that it was by the power of his own hands that he was able to create these things and do these. One of my responsibilities growing up was to cut the yard. We had a fairly big yard, uh, and so to cut it, uh, to mow it, and to edge it, and to blow it took about two hours. And I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and uh, I remember that sometimes, that after it was done, I was so impressed with the work that I did that I'd go stand across the street and I'd look at it and I'd go, that looks good. <laughs> this, is, this is the best yard on the block. <laughs> See what I did? But there was a problem. The problem is this. I did it with my parents' equipment, the gas that they paid for, the yard that they owned. It wasn't mine. It was something that was given to steward, that I had to steward. And it's the same way here, is that without that proper perspective, we can become deceived by the power of our own own hands and then go to call things mine. They're the things that I've created, the intelligence that God has given me, we can become proud of. The skills of doing things with my hands, that God has given you that skill, you can become proud of those things and become this perspective of self-sufficiency. The ability to make money. Some people in this room probably have the ability to just be successful over and over again at different business ventures that they have. And they can look back, and they can be impressed by all the ways that they have been successful. But it's important to remember that it is God that's given us that gift. It's not our ability that we've given ourselves. It's what it is that God has done for us. When God addresses the Israelites as in this passage, he often discusses how how their uh, possessions and wealth could lead them away from faithful obedience. We see this even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When our perspectives leads us to this delusion that we have created our own wealth, we have obtained our own possessions with our own hands, we confuse who truly owns what we have. In our view, what we have is ours. Therefore, our mission becomes with those items to generate wealth for the purpose of self-satisfaction. However, if we properly view God as the owner and the one who has given us the power to create the resources and wealth, we should see ourselves simply as stewards of what it is that God has given us and how it is that we use those resources and those wealth and ways that God desires us to. So what are we supposed to do with all this? What do we do with these dangers that are here and the fact that we should not forget and how our perceptions of these things can get messed up? The first step is to examine your own heart and see where having this wrong perspective has taken you away from faithful obedience. Where might this be the case if this has happened in your life? And as we've said, God gives us good gifts to enjoy, but you have you swift, switched from enjoying those good gifts to worshiping them? One of the best ways to know if something's become an object of worship rather than enjoyment is to consider what level of disappointment you feel when it goes away. Would your heart be dismayed if it disappeared, or would you simply have a sense of gratitude for the time that God allowed you to enjoy it? It doesn't mean that we won't miss things like loved ones, but what's our perspective on those things? Is do we recognize the blessing that has come from God over those things versus what it is that we own with them? Since God starts off this passage with a call to faithful obedience, you should evaluate whether you by chance have ended up with a flawed perspective by considering how it impacts your obedience. So I've got some questions to ask you this morning. Here are the questions. Does whatever it is that you have been given, does it take you away from regularly worshiping with your community of believers? I'm not talking necessarily about your job, but is the things that you've been given, the material blessings that you have, the other things, the skills that you have, is it something that leads you away from regularly gathering with this community of believers? If so, you probably have the wrong perspective on it. Second, Does it draw you away from authentic relationships with believers because of the fact that this is the time for me to enjoy, necessarily for the time for me to enjoy as a community of believers? Number three, do you find yourself frequently, whether out loud or in your head, because there's a lot of things we say in our head that we don't say out loud. That's really where our hearts revealed on those particular things, where you refer to what I have done and what I have built. Maybe you've gained the wrong perspective on those things. Number four, does your life seem void of thankfulness to God for his provisions? When you look at all it is that God has put around you, do you find yourself regularly turning to God and say, thank you for the fact that you have provided this for me? Thank you for the fact that I get to enjoy this. Is that the perspective that you have? Number five, do the things that you do with your resources teach your children how to honor God? If they were to take the same things and they were to use them, would they lead that to a conclusion that this is how I honor God through the things that I have been given? And the last one, does it prevent you from being a faithful, sacrificial giver because of the resources that you're spending on personal enjoyment? You'll know that the priorities have gone wrong in this area when, when you give, it seems like an act of losing rather than an act of worship. An act of giving up rather than an act of giving back. Therefore, your perspective might be flawed. To the young people that are listening in this room, you might say, this is not where I am. I don't have lots of stuff. You know, I might want lots of stuff one day, and so you might be in a position where you're longing for those particular things. And I just want to warn you now of the danger that you face. God may choose to bless you with great things, and if he does, great. Use them wonderfully for his kingdom. But if right now they are the object of worship for you, for your longing, of what it is that you want in your life, you've gained a wrong perspective on things. Seek faithfulness, idolize faithfulness in those things, not necessarily the material blessings. There are many things that can lead us away from walking faithfully before God. However, as this this passage teaches us, and many other places in scripture cooperate, this isn't the only place that this occurs. It's our stuff, the material possessions that God has given us that can easily draw us down the path of unfaithfulness. Our perspectives can become flawed because of the material distractions that are around us, because of us forgetting where it is that God has brought us from, and because of the delusion of self-sufficiency. So let me just encourage you today, examine your lives, examine your hearts, hold the material things that God has blessed you with loosely and seek to understand how you can use them for the glory of God and for the growth of his kingdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we are challenged in learning how it is that we can uh, put to death sin in our life and the things that can distract us, Lord. We do thank you for the things that you've given us. There's so many things that we enjoy. And, Lord, what we pray is that with those things that while you allow us to enjoy them, we pray that we would protect our hearts and not worship them, but instead that we would remember you and that we would worship you, and that we would be faithful in obedient to you. And we pray these things in your mighty, wonderful, and gracious name. Amen.